In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, first off, a word of introduction. My name is Father Noah Mori. Uh, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Arlington, currently stationed at All Saints Parish in Manassas, and I have the privilege not only of preaching the Masses this weekend here at St. John's, but also uh, preaching the 40 Hours Devotion, which will begin uh, later this afternoon and run through, through Tuesday morning. Uh, there are sign-up sheets in the, um, in the main entrance to the church for one-hour slots, because we'll have Eucharistic adoration round the clock, um, so we need to have, make sure all those slots are, are filled so that we can be spending time with the Lord. I grew up in the Seattle area where I was homeschooled, and what brought me to Virginia was I, I attended Christendom College. Um, and after my graduation there, I spent one year as a Latin teacher at Chelsea Academy, which is also in Front Royal, and uh, then I attended Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg. And after my ordination about three years ago, I was sent to, uh, to All Saints uh, out in Manassas. So it's been a beautiful experience, um, so much support and, and love from, the, uh, from my new home uh, here on the East Coast. My, my family is really scattered throughout the country, um, but I am really privileged to have uh, two older siblings in religious life, one of, one of whom my, one of my older brothers is a Benedictine priest at Clear Creek Monastery uh, near Tulsa, and I have an older sister who's a Carmelite, um, she was in Lincoln, Nebraska, but they just opened a new, a new convent in northern Idaho. So about a year ago, she was um, relocated uh, to northern Idaho. And so she's living in the uh, Carmel of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in Post Falls, um, just outside of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So it's really a beautiful opportunity for, for me to keep in contact with them, uh, only via writing letters, but to know of their prayers for not only for me, but also for our diocese. In 1862, St. John Bosco had a dream of a mighty ship that was being rocked by the waves and was taking on enemy fire from the enemy boats, which tried to ram and to destroy it. Although the ship sustained some hits from these enemy boats, those holes were miraculously repaired. Eventually, the mighty ship became anchored by a strong chain to two very tall pillars. The larger pillar, at the top of that pillar, there was a large white host, and on the top of the other pillar, there was a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary under the title Help of Christians. Tied to these two pillars, the mighty ship was indestructible, and a great calm came over the sea. When he awoke, St. John Bosco realized that the ship was a symbol of the church, a symbol of the church that reaches safe haven and smooth waters by remaining anchored to those two pillars, the Eucharist and Our Lady. So as we begin this month dedicated to Our Lady, this beautiful month of May, we also celebrate First Holy Communion season. I heard that for the parish here, it'll be taking place uh, next Saturday. Uh, it took place, we had two Masses yesterday at All Saints. Um, as so many young boys and girls were receiving Jesus for the first time in the Eucharist. And perhaps many of us remember our own First Holy Communion Day. I, I remember mine for a couple of reasons. One is because uh, in the Seattle area, we don't get many sunny days. But that day in May, it was a sunny day. So I remember that. I also remember the, the blue suit that I was wearing, my second grade teacher being in attendance, my mom, um, and also uh, my enthusiasm at, at receiving Jesus in the Eucharist for the very first time. And also, of course, the large white and blue cake which I'll never forget. But I think sometimes, because the Eucharist has become so routine, sometimes we lose track of the, of the mystery, of the gratitude, of the joy that we should have whenever we receive the Eucharist. And we should pray that it never 
It never becomes routine, that we never lose sight of the great gift that Jesus has given to us in the Eucharist, the gift of his very self. The Greek word Eucharist means thanksgiving. And just as the Eucharist is offered each and every day, it's a reminder for us that every day should be a day of gratitude. Jesus said in the gospel today that he told us to be bold in our requests, that he is going to the Father, but he's not leaving us alone because he's telling us that whatever we ask for in his name will be granted to us, that we have to have this confidence in asking and spending time with the Lord and being with him and, and, and asking uh, for those things that will make our joy complete, that joy that is leading us to eternal life in heaven. Jesus also says in the Gospel of John that, that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus truly laid down his life for us, but he also gives himself to us in the Eucharist. If we think about it, love always requires the presence of another. Love requires union with the beloved. We could think of a, a newly engaged couple or husband and wife who've been married for many years or even, even a mother for her child. Love requires union and someone in love just wants to be with the other person. That's really what God has, that's the love he has for us, that he just wants to be with us. We know that God is love. It's such a profound statement that we read in the, not only in the um, uh, epistle of St. John, but also throughout the gospel of John, that God is love and that we're experiencing the love of God incarnate whenever we encounter Jesus, especially in the Eucharist. So really, that's what God is, or rather who God is. God is love. But I'm not talking about any sentimental kind of love. I'm talking about real sacrificial love. Because we know in our world today, the meaning and the understanding of love has been completely warped into something totally different. So the love that we need to refer to is the cross. That Jesus, that is the example of true love. That this sacrificial giving of oneself, which is what gives life to the other person. Love is the most important of all the virtues, and it's the vocation which includes all the others. But we can't give what we don't have. So we have to go to Jesus in the Eucharist frequently so that we might receive his love and then be enabled to take that love to others. And we encounter this love most profoundly in the Holy Eucharist. Of course, any discussion of the Eucharist must address John chapter 6 which we know is Jesus' teaching on the Holy Eucharist. But before he gives his Bread of Life discourse, there are two important miracles that take place that we need to take a look at because they are in the context of this Eucharistic miracle. The first miracle is the miraculous multiplication of the loaves. So this is the only miracle besides the resurrection that takes place in all four Gospels. But in this miracle, Jesus takes bread, he says the blessing, he breaks the bread, and he gives it to his disciples, who in turn give it to the crowds. And this same exact thing is happening at every Mass through the ministry of priests, that the same four verbs are at work, taking bread, saying the blessing, breaking the bread, and giving it to others. So Jesus is really feeding us with miraculous bread from heaven through the ministry and the hands of priests. Now, this multiplication of the loaves shows us that Jesus has power over ordinary bread to feed a hungry crowd. So let's keep that in mind for the time being. In the second miracle, Jesus walks on the water, showing that he has power not only over his body, but also to transform or suspend the laws of nature. So let's keep that in mind also. 
And then during the rest of the chapter 6 in John's Gospel, Jesus gives us that bread of life discourse, which, in which he says very bold things. He says that my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And some of his disciples were so scandalized by this teaching that they even walked away. They, they were interpreting it literally, and they said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? But Jesus doesn't back down. He doesn't say, no, I was only talking symbolically. He, rather, he reaffirms that the literal understanding is the correct way to interpret his words. So initially explained in John chapter 6, this teaching comes to fullest fruition at the Last Supper, when Jesus brought all of the elements of this chapter together, his power to transform bread to feed a crowd, his power to suspend or transform the laws of nature, that fourfold action, and then those powerful words, this is my body, this is my blood. So tremendous that we as Catholics have that beautiful gift of the Eucharist, Jesus who is truly, really, and substantially present in the Eucharist, which is his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Next, let's consider that second pillar in St. John Bosco's dream, the pillar of Our Lady. This month of May is dedicated to Our Lady, and we honor Mary because Jesus honored Mary. She was his most perfect disciple, and he loved her like any good son would love his own mother. The Son of God became man for our salvation, but only in Mary and through Mary. And just as Eve actively cooperated with Adam in the downfall of the human race, so also the new Eve, Mary, fully cooperates with Jesus in bringing about our redemption. And she did so through her yes, through her yes of obedience and faith, when she said to the angel, let it be done to me according to your word. And since Mary is the mother of the church, she continues her maternal role on our behalf in heaven, that she is continually our mother. And because we bear the name of Christ, we are Christians. And that's why St. John Bosco had that special devotion to Mary under the title, Help of Christians. We might imagine uh, Jesus living for nine months in the womb of his mother. And that's the same Jesus that we receive in the Eucharist. So Mary is really the key. She's able to teach us how to form Jesus in ourselves and how to prepare a worthy dwelling in ourselves for her son. Mary is the most perfect being imaginable. And we might think that, yes, we expect people to honor our mother. We expect people to respect, that, to respect her. It's the same with Jesus, that he created his own mother, beautiful, without sin, and yet he expects the whole world to honor and to respect her. And yet, even though Mary was without sin, we know that she knew the full effects of sin because she watched her son suffer and die for sin at the foot of the cross. So whenever we picture Mary at the foot of the cross, we know that she not only understands human suffering, but also that she can take our needs before our Heavenly Father. The Holy Rosary is a great way to honor Our Lady, and the rosary we know is made up of the Our Father and the Hail Mary, both of which are found directly in the scriptures. And so whenever we're praying the rosary, we're actually just praying the words of the Bible. And when we pray to Mary, we're actually just asking her to help us, to imitate her virtues and to help us to grow in holiness. So I urge you to pray the rosary each and every day, perhaps this month of May, making this as a springboard to, to pray that rosary every day and, and ask for an obedient, loving heart, just like our Blessed Mother had that Mary is, wants to take our intentions before our Heavenly Father. St. Louis de Montfort used the story of a, of a peasant 
who wanted to present a piece of fruit to the king. And, and, and he was saying, well, why would the king accept this piece of fruit? Well, because the peasant went to the mother of the king and gave the fruit to the mother. And the mother of the king put it on a beautiful golden platter and then took it to her son herself and said, son, I'd like you to accept this gift from me. Really, this is from a, a close friend of mine. Would you please accept this on my behalf? And the son, because it's coming through the hands of his mother, is more willing to accept that gift, and it becomes very pleasing to him. So that's what Mary does, is she takes the fruit of our intentions and places it on a golden platter and gives it to, to her son so that it becomes pleasing and acceptable to him. Now, over these next two days, we will have the opportunity to adore Jesus truly present in the Eucharist, especially as seen through the lives of the saints. Now, I've mentioned several saints already, Our Lady, St. John Bosco, St. Louis de Montfort. But as a parish, beginning this afternoon, we will hold the annual 40 hours devotion, as I mentioned, round-the-clock adoration. So we have the sign-up sheets in the main entrance to the church to sign up for an hour, really recalling those words of Jesus in the garden, could you not watch for one hour with me? Remember that love requires union. So we have to be with the Lord. We have to be with him in the Eucharist because he's already given himself to us. During these 40 hours, I'll be giving four reflections on how the, the, the saints were completely transformed by the Eucharist and how our, how our encounter with the Eucharist can also transform us into saints. So this afternoon, I'll be speaking on the martyrs, and then tomorrow morning on widows, tomorrow evening on married saints, and then on Tuesday morning, we'll, we'll conclude with the school mass and a reflection on the priesthood, which will be followed by a Eucharistic ador- um, procession uh, outside. It's beautiful that, that we have this time, these 40 hours, to, to make time for the Lord. We make time for what's important to us. So we have to make time to be with the Lord. And if we remain anchored to the Eucharist and to Our Lady, then we will reach those peaceful waters that we desire. And through time spent with our Eucharistic Lord, we will learn how to give ourselves more fully to Jesus, since he's already given himself to us in a most wonderful way in the Eucharist. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.